On this episode of This Week in Linux, there is a brand new version of OBS Studio with a lot of great and exciting features, but there's a catch, so you might want to hold off on upgrading. There's a new official flavor to the Ubuntu family. Debian is currently discussing what to do with non-free firmware, and Arch Linux users ran into a bit of an oopsie doodle this week. All this and much more. So welcome to episode 212 of This Week in Linux, a podcast by the Tux Digital Network. This episode of Twill was recorded live on September 3rd, 2022 at tuxdigital.com slash live. I'm your host, Michael Tunnell. And if you're new to the show, this is the podcast that will keep you up to date with what's going on in the Linux world, and I'll give you my take as a 20-year-plus Linux user. So let's jump right into your weekly source for Linux good news. This episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean and by Bitwarden. Before we get started with the show today, do you know what time of the year it is? That's right, it's September, so be sure to subscribe to This Week in Linux podcast and all the other great content on the Tux Digital Network. OBS Studio is a fantastic app that I use to make this show each and every week, and I love it. So as you might expect, I am excited for the latest release of OBS Studio 28. I know this open source video content creation tool for live streaming and recording is not going to be applicable to everyone who watches this show, but for those that are interested in this, this release is very exciting because there's so much great stuff. There's also a catch. And please watch the whole segment because you may want to hold off on upgrading for now. Let's talk about some of the big features included in OBS 28. First of all, there's 10-bit support, HDR video encoding support, mainly for Windows right now. Though this is not to say that Linux is a secondary class for OBS or anything like that. This is mostly because Linux as a whole isn't really ready for HDR just yet. But there is a lot of work being done for this, including Red Hat, who have created a position specifically to address HDR, which is baller, by the way. Uh, OBS did also put work into HDR support for Linux, so when it does become available, it will be an option for us. Now, OBS 28 also upgrades the UI toolkit for Qt 6, which will improve its performance, visuals, and make updating it easier in the future. Some of the other highlights of this release are they've added the ability to select a separate video mix for the virtual camera. They added a new default theme called Yami, which looks pretty nice. They added OBS WebSocket 5.0 as a first-party plugin. Now, this is awesome because WebSockets are incredibly powerful to make OBS be able to do pretty much anything you can think of, even way more than it already can. Plus, it has it's like a crucial piece of doing automation for OBS. Now, the next thing that they did is they added the ability to automatically split recordings based on file size or duration of recording, or manually with a hotkey if you want to do it that way, which is really cool. So if you have if you want to basically have, you know, not enormous files, you can kind of split it up that way, which is just awesome. They've also added accessibility section to the settings window, which provides the ability to change colors of certain UI elements with presets or customs and all sorts of stuff. They've added native outputs for SRT and RIST streaming protocols. They've added support for sending chat messages to YouTube from directly within OBS and so much more. We also have some Linux-specific changes to talk about. They switched rendering on Linux from GLX to EGL, which should provide a better experience. 
They added support for the H.264 uh, format in the Linux V4L2 video capture device sources. They fixed a couple of Linux-specific issues as well, and there are a ton of other improvements and enhancements to OBS Studio 28 that I can't really cover everything without dedicating an entire video to it. But if you want to learn more about that, I'll have links in the show notes for the in full release notes if you want to check those out. But now it's time to talk about the gotchas. So OBS 28 is very exciting, but for some people, it might be better to wait to upgrade for a few reasons. OBS 28 switched to Qt 6 for the interface, and that means it will now only work with 64-bit based operating systems. Now, in my opinion, 32-bit machines are pretty legacy at this point, and intensive streaming isn't likely to be expected on these machines, but I thought it was worth at least mentioning in the show. But the biggest caveat to here is that right now the plugin support is kind of lackluster depending on what plugin we're talking about. So a lot of plugins are broken because of these changes in OBS 28. For example, anyone there out there using NDI plugins should hold off. Now, there's a lot of effort going on right now to upgrade various plugins, and OBS has been participating with plugin developers to help them get ready for the next release of OBS. But quite a few plugins have still yet to make the upgrade. So if you use OBS with plugins, it is highly recommended that you check all of your plugins to ensure compatibility first before upgrading, because you don't want to run into a situation where you don't have the ability to use all the plugins that you are relying on. So be sure to check that out. And also be sure to check out the show notes where you'll find links for more information about OBS Studio 28.0. Ubuntu Unity has announced that they will be an official flavor for Ubuntu starting with the 22.10 release. For those unfamiliar with Ubuntu Unity, let's go back a bit for a brief lesson in Linux history class. My name is Michael, but you can call me Professor Michael. It would not be accurate in any shape or form, but you can call me that if you want to. All right, the year was 2010. Before TikTok became the go-to app for being caught in an attention vortex, the song TikTok by Kesha was topping the charts. That's true, actually, so if you want to look that up. <laughs> Also in 2010, Ubuntu introduced the Ubuntu Netbook Edition, which was the first iteration of their new desktop environment called Unity. For the next seven years, Unity was being developed by Canonical and Ubuntu, and there was there were some ups, there were some downs, there were pros, there were cons, but overall, Unity was and arguably still is one of the best desktop environments available to Linux users. In 2017, though, Canonical decided to end development of Unity, and so the switch to GNOME began. Now, they should have switched to KDE Plasma, but that's a whole different conversation, which I made a video about on my YouTube channel, so check the show notes for a link to that video. <laughs> uh, five years later, the Ubuntu Unity Remix project has now brought Unity back to the Ubuntu fam family in the form of an official flavor. This means that Ubuntu Unity is no longer a remix and can now benefit from shared resources that other official flavors get from Canonical. Not much is known exactly about the plans for this release, about what versions are going to be available for the, the different the Unity desktop specifically, as well as other things. 
since it's now an official flavor, we will get the updates on and releases the same speed schedule that you get the normal releases with Ubuntu and the other flavors. So the end of the month, we'll get the first beta. And I think that one will find out a lot more information about this next release of Ubuntu Unity. I'll keep you updated in a future episode of Twill. So be sure to subscribe. And until then, links in the show notes. The Arch Linux community and Arch-based derivative distros had a bit of a bumpy week this week uh, due to a change that happened in Grub. This caused some people to not be able to boot their computers, which is easily one of the worst kinds of bugs to run into. Now, here is what the Arch Linux news page stated about this issue. Uh, Recent changes in Grub added a new command option to FW setup and changed the way the command is invoked in the generated boot configuration. Depending on your system hardware and setup, this could cause an unbootable system due to incompatibilities between the installed bootloader and the configuration. After a Grub package update, it is advised to run both installation and regeneration of configuration. EndeavorOS also talked about this on their blog because their users were also affected by this. And this issue was interesting because they kind of posted on a, a couple days before the Arch team themselves did. But EndeavorOS released an update that fixes the problem with future installs on their ISO, and the Arch team provided details for how Arch users can address this for themselves. Now, it is worth noting that not all Arch users are are hit by this because not all of them use Grub, and not all Grub users were affected by this in general. So if you it's just better to, you know, take caution if you are an Arch user or you're using something that is a derivative Arch, just Take caution and look into it anyway, just in case. Now, I do want to point out that I do like Arch Linux, and there are some times where I will kind of recommend people not use something based on Arch. So I quite often get questions about why I have a stance for this, about not recommending Arch Linux or anything based on Arch to beginners to Linux. And this is a good example for why, because a beginner would have no chance to be able to deal with this sort of thing. And I don't think they should even have to worry about this because other distributions that are not rolling releases are not going to be affected by this. So I just wanted to put that out there. If you have heard people recommending Arch Linux or anything based on it to beginners, uh, please uh, step in and give the counterpoint because, well, it's not a great idea. <laughs> anyway, with that said, I like if you'd like to learn more about this news related to the Arch Linux grub issue, you can find links in the show notes. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Cloud computing can be, let's say, complex, but standing up reliable, affordable cloud infrastructure really doesn't have to be. At DigitalOcean, you can enjoy a comprehensive portfolio of compute, storage, database, and networking products that put your cloud infrastructure in capable hands so you and your teams can get back to doing what matters most, building world-changing apps that grow your business. And with DigitalOcean, you also get predictable pricing, robust product docs, and services that developers love. That's DigitalOcean. And speaking of services that people love, I love the Marketplace system, where you can get a droplet of all sorts of different software with just a couple of clicks and get started super easy. I've used it many, many times. It's fantastic. Marketplace for DigitalOcean is just, thank you so much. It's awesome. Also, you can get support with every stage of growth, where you have a team of one person or a team of a thousand people. With DigitalOcean, you get simple, powerful cloud computing. So go to do.co slash tux2022 to get started with your account at DigitalOcean. And it's awesome because 
As a listener of the This Week in Linux podcast and a member of the Tuscan Digital community, when you get started by going to that URL, you're going to get started for free, but also it's better than free because DigitalOcean is going to give you a $100 free credit, a 60-day $100 free credit when you go to do.co slash tux2022. That's do.co slash tux2022. It is just a fantastic service. I'm a huge fan of DigitalOcean. So again, go get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's awesome cloud platform so you can become a huge fan as well by going to do.co slash tux2022. The Tor project has announced the 1.0.0 release of Arty. Arty is a Rust-based Tor implementation, and they are saying that the 1.0 is ready for production use which is pretty awesome. Now, back in 2020, Tor started working on this new implementation of the Tor protocols written in the Rust programming languages. You might be wondering, why did they decide to rewrite Tor in the Rust programming language? Well, they did answer that, and they say that despite its maturity, the C Tor implementation is showing its age. While C was a reasonable choice back when Tor was started in 2001, they're saying that they've always kind of suffered from its limitations. It encourages a needlessly low-level approach to many programming problems, and using it safely requires painstaking care and effort. That's a quote from them. Because of these limitations, that pace of the development in C has always been slower than what they would have liked. What's more, they say that the existing C implementation was grown over the years to have a not so modular design, and nearly everything is connected to everything else, which makes it even more difficult to analyze the code and make safe improvements. I think this is really, really interesting and very cool to see this effort being done and kind of uh, impressive that they've already got it at production ready in just a couple of years. You know, But there is one thing they pointed out that I wanted to include here on this show to kind of give you like a... You know, they they don't recommend pointing a conventional web browser at this RD protocol because they say that the web browsers leak private data and identifying information. So instead, they suggest using the Tor browser and use their instructions that they have provided on the uh, initial blog post about how to implement RD with the Tor browser. And I'll have that linked in the show notes if you'd like to do it, as well as links for the sh- in the show notes for more information about this new protocol written in Rust called Arty. GIMP 2.99.12 has been released this week, which is another development release to get ready for GIMP 3.0. The GIMP team say that GIMP 2.99.12 is a huge milestone towards GIMP 3.0. Many of the missing pieces are getting together, and even though it is still a work in progress, it is a big milestone. Now, this latest release has a lot of updates and improvements from core features to color modules to themes to updated compatibility with file formats and much more. Now, I'm going to highlight some of what is coming up in the next release of GIMP 3.0 or not necessarily a future release, but also stuff that's in this release as well with GIMP 2.99.12. It will let you resize the brush strokes while being on the canvas. This is very important because you do not need to change the brush settings, brush settings from the tool options dock anymore. This is critical for professional workflows due to being able to quickly make adjustments while you're doing your work. I use it all the time in the other tools that I use. 
They're also working on more on-canvas features to improve workloads, which is fantastic news, so I can't wait to try those out. The next thing to highlight is the new by distance zoom feature, which will be a nicer way to move around the canvas. And I am looking forward to that, of course. But finally, maybe the most important feature is support for the CMYK color model is getting a lot of love thanks to the Google Summer of Code project. Now, this is great because CMYK is a critical feature for anyone who does any kind of print work. And speaking of print work, I need to finish something for a client after the show. Not important to this particular topic, but live chat, uh, please remind me to do that after the show. <laughs> They've also been working to get better support for PSDs, which is the Photoshop file format, and that is absolutely great to see. And with all that said, the name of this application is still terrible and needs to be changed. But in the meantime, if you'd like to learn more about GIMP 2.99.12, Link in the show notes. There's an interesting discussion going on in Debian right now that I'm calling the Debian non-free firmware great debate. Debian does not come with any non-free firmware by default. Many people love Debian because of this. However, this becomes a problem for anyone who wants to use Debian on newer hardware. For example, uh, if, they're, if they have a new Wi-Fi card or they're trying to use the latest NVIDIA GPU, you might be out of luck trying to use Debian and that sends a lot of users towards alternatives. There is an unofficial non-free version of Debian that includes non-free stuff, but most users probably don't even know it exists because it's not easily accessible. It's buried on a, on a wiki and it's just not the best way of you know getting that information to people. So there is currently a discussion within Debian to decide on what to do about this. Then later this month, there will be a vote to decide what the next steps will be. We covered this a couple of weeks ago on Destination Linux in a lot more depth. There's been some movement on the topic about this, but I highly recommend you check out that episode of Destination Linux because episode 290, there's so much more information about it, and I think it's definitely a great discussion. And we also talk about other things in, related to, in relation to this conversation that I think are worth looking at. For example, the debate of the term non-free, and is that the best term to use. So check out episode 290 of Destination Linux to get more information and to hear our opinions about this topic. You'll find a link to that episode of episode 290 in the show notes, as well as a link to the Debian.org page where they're discussing the vote of what they're going to be doing. So you'll find links in the show notes. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com slash tux. Bitwarden is an awesome service. It is a password manager that allows you to have peace of mind knowing that your online accounts are secure. How does it do it? Well, Bitwarden provides you with a bunch of different types of tools like the password vault to be able to store all of your passwords in, an auto generator to generate passwords as well as generate usernames, and even automatically fill in those passwords on login forms so you don't have to do any of this stuff. Plus, you can access your data across many different types of devices like your web browser, mobile apps, desktop application, or even on the command line, Bitwarden has you covered. Also, Bitwarden seals and encrypts your private data with end-to-end -end encryption before it ever leaves your devices, so you know you're the only person with access to your data, which is, of course, very, very important. So if you want to have a great password manager like that, go to bitwarden.com tux to get started. Did I mention you can get started for free? 
Well, you can, but I think you want to check out their premium account because they have a lot of great features and all of it for less than a dollar per month. That's right. For just $10 per year, you get one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F Duo, Vault Health Reports, Bitwarden Authenticator for temporary one-time passwords, Priority Customer Service, Bitwarden Send, and just so much more. All of this for less than a dollar per month. So make the smart move like many of your community have and go to bitwarden.com slash tux to get your account. A new project caught my eye this week because it is super interesting and unique. The project is called clear.dental, and that is also the website address, clear.dental. It is a dental EHR project that works natively on Linux. For those that don't know what EHR stands for, I didn't, it means electronic health records. So they said that as of right now, the EHR is pretty much feature complete for any general dentist to use except for CBCT driver and clearinghouse submissions. Now, it is hard for me to describe it in a way that will do it justice, but there are some videos on the website that demo a bunch of features as well as give you a full walkthrough through the office and how it all works together and demonstrates all sorts of cool stuff and shows a pretty baller setup for a dentist office. There's a triple monitor setup configured in a dentist office. So it's pretty awesome. And they show you how it works, like what tools they're using, what kinds of devices like a Raspberry Pi or a desktop machine and all that sort of stuff. It's really cool. Plus this whole thing is powered by Linux and KDE Plasma. So you know it piqued my interest for sure when I saw this. And if it pinks your interest as well, then check out the links in the show notes to find out more about Clear Dental. Hopefully I covered that topic well enough that you don't find any cavities for it or whatever. <laughs> Let's do some gaming topics now. So Splitgate is an awesome first-person shooter game that I've been enjoying quite a bit. I might even dare say that it's my second go-to game these days. And you might be wondering, what is Splitgate? Well, imagine Halo or Quake merge with Valve's Portal, and you've got Splitgate. Yesterday, the developers of Splitgate, 1047 Games, made a post entitled, Important Announcement About Splitgate's Future. Typically, this, thing, this kind of title does not end well. In this case, though, it's kind of a bittersweet announcement. So it's both... A little bit negative, but also hopeful. So Splitgate is no longer going to be actively developed in its current iteration, as a developer has decided to move on to making a better version of the game. Before I get into those details, I learned about this news thanks to Liam from GamingOnLinux.com. And first of all, Liam, thank you for your continued coverage on Linux gaming over the years. It's been both interesting to me as a user, like a Linux gamer, and also for this show from time to time. So thank you very much. However, did this article really need to be titled the way you titled it? Let's look at this together, shall we? So the title of this article was Splitgate Development is Over as the Devs Move On to Their Next Game. I mean, that's, you know, talk about a punch-in-the-gut kind of title. <laughs> Fair enough, though. It, it, the title is true, and it certainly got me to click it, but still, I mean, come on. <laughs> All right. Back to the topic at hand. So Splitgate is making some changes. 1047 Games announced that they are halting feature development of Splitgate because they feel like they're trying to rework old content and systems that were originally built by a handful of people and are trying to re retrofit to this iteration of the game. 
So they decided to move on to making a new version of Splitgate that is based on a different gaming engine, specifically the Unreal Engine 5. Now they didn't specify exactly what this new game will be, like maybe if it's Splitgate 2 or something, we don't really know exactly, but what they did say is that it will be a shooter, it will have portals, and it will be built on Unreal Engine 5, and it will continue to be free. So basically Splitgate, uh, just not the exact version, you know. But there's still good news for fans of Splitgate. The original game isn't going anywhere. Until the next version, you still be able to play it. So they're not going to replace anything until the next version is ready. So all currently planned updates are going to be completed, and the servers will continue to run, allowing people to keep playing this game as long as they want to, up until the next gen of Splitgate is ready to go. If you'd like to learn more, they actually put up a frequently asked question or a FAQ on their website about this news to answer many of the pressing questions you might have. So check out the links in the show notes. In the past, I have covered various Humble Bundles on this show to let you know about some deals that I thought were check worth checking out. And this could be gaming bundles. It could be programming bundles. Well, this week, I have a bundle that is both. Both of those things. So the Level Up and Learn programming bundles uh, is basically a bundle of games that help you with learning programming to by making it more fun to learn. As you might expect, I find learning fun already. Yeah, I do. I keep up to date with projects and stuff all the time, and I'm also interested in programming. So this thing is something I already kind of enjoy, but I am totally down for leveling up with some games. And it's interesting you say, like, I'm up for that or I'm down with that. They mean the exact same thing, but they're kind of like the opposites when you're saying them. Anyway, I don't know why that occurred to me, but there you go. The games in this bundle are Learning Factory, which is not yet rated for Steam Deck, if you're curious. Uh, Exapunks, which is playable on the Steam Deck. Uh, then there's also Wild True, colon, learn, parentheses, uh, open parentheses, close parentheses. It, it's a lot easier to type than it is to say. Uh, there's also 7 billion humans. Uh, both of those are deck verified. There's also Human Resource Machine, which is also deck verified, and Shenzhen IO, which is uh, playable on the Steam Deck. If you'd like to learn more about these, or if you want to check them out, then be sure to check the links in the show notes. And also, just so you know, if you're not familiar, these links will be affiliate links that if you do decide to purchase this bundle, there will be a small commission that goes to the show. And I would very much appreciate it if you do use those links. So please do so. You'll find them in the show notes. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe, especially because it's September. <laughs> if you'd like to support the show and the channel, we have multiple ways to contribute via Patreon, sponsors, and others. You can become a patron by going to tuxdigital.com slash contribute. And you can be if you do become a patron, you could join me during the live stream in the recording stadium to discuss stuff in between topics and also just hang out every week after the show in the patron-only post-show, which is a whole lot of fun. You will definitely consider that a sublime experience. So... You can also support the show by ordering the Linux Liberty t-shirt or the This Week in Linux shirt at tuxdigital.com store. Plus, while you're there, check out all the great stuff like the hats, mugs, hoodies, stickers, and so much more that we have at tuxdigital.com store. 
If you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episode of Destination Linux and Hardware Addicts as I'm co-host of both of those shows on the Tux Digital Network. And just a reminder, this show is live every Saturday at 1 p.m. U.S. Eastern or 1700 UTC. So join us in the live chat room to discuss all the latest Linux news each and every week at tuxdigital.com slash live. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell with Tux Digital, and I'll see you next week for another episode of your weekly source for Linux. Good news.